Amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. Good to see all of you this morning. I want to thank Brian for speaking for me last Sunday. Lisa and I were able to enjoy a, a weekend off, if you will. But we missed you guys. So it's good to be back this Sunday and start off a new year. So it's a new year, a new series. And this morning we're going to begin a several month series in the book of First Thessalonians. If you would turn there this morning, please. The book of First Thessalonians. Several months ago, as I was praying and asking God to lead me to where to begin this new year, I, I clearly knew that he was leading me to the book of First Thessalonians, but I really wasn't sure why at the beginning. I know that the book of First Thessalonians has a lot to talk about the coming of the Lord and the return of Christ, and that's always a great subject to talk about and, and to encourage us to live in light of that, but it wasn't until I sort of restudied the book and got back into it that I realized, I think, why God wanted me to start out this year with this book. It's going to be a preparation for us as a church. You see, God has been preparing us, and he's always preparing us, but he's been preparing us for five plus years as a church for, for the things that he wants to do in us and through us. But this year, we're getting ready to sort of go to another level with that. Lord willing, this year, we're going to start seeing our own building being built over there on Greenfield Road. And I think God wants to use this year to prepare us for what he has for us to come. And as I got into this, I was realizing that, that there's a lot of motivation of why Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica, that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But, but one of the things that Paul is revealing here about this unique church is that it was a, a model church. It was a church that other churches looked to as an example of what a local church was supposed to be like. In fact, you see that in verse 7 there. If you look at chapter 1, verse 7, Paul even says to them, he says that um, you became as a result of the things we're going to talk about this morning that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. You became a model, a pattern to follow for other churches. Well, what was it about this church in Thessalonica that made it such a model church? And what are some things then that you and I can learn from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians of how we can be that model church, if you will, that example to other churches for them to emulate and follow as well. Well, first of all, I don't usually take a lot of time to talk about background information. I'm not going to do that this morning, but just for a little bit of background information, one of the things that makes First Thessalonians sort of special and unique is it was Paul's earliest letter that he wrote. Out of all the letters, and Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, this was the very first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he wrote it to a local church in Thessalonica. 
The city of Thessalonica was named after the half-sister of Alexander the Great. And it was, I should say it this way, it occupied a very strategic place in the world because it was a very, very major trade route between East and West. Therefore, people from all over the known world at that time would be passing through Thessalonica to get to other places. And goods from all over the world would be passing through Thessalonica to get to other places. Therefore, if the witness of God and the message of God was strong in Thessalonica, it literally could even in that day, before internet and before cell phones and all of that technology, the message of God could literally go all over the world. Therefore, this church became a church of influence, as we have seen here already from verse 7. How did that happen? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. And with that in mind, let me say this. I think that once again, we are going to see in this book how important the local church is to God. And how the local church should be important and a priority to us as well. Even though the reality is that we live in a day and age where even amongst Christians, the local church does not occupy a real high place with many Christians. Um, you don't see... Um, the numbers of people flocking to the local church on Sundays like they used to back in the heyday of the local church. You don't see people serving and ministering in local churches like they used to. You don't see young people especially going off to Bible colleges and seminaries like they used to studying for ministry. So even for someone like me, I wonder where the next generation of pastors and missionaries and all that are going to come. We're living in that day and age. It's a reality. But yet I also believe this, that in the day and age in which we live, God has designed, as he always did, the local church to be a place that for those that choose to make it a high priority in their lives, it can be a place where they can spiritually grow and be refreshed and be revitalized and tap into all the resources that God intended for us to find as his children in the local church. That's why he starts out, you'll notice, in verse 1 with these words. He says, this is from Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. The Greek word is ekklesia, and though we use the word and term church a lot, do we really know what it means? It means to be a called out people of God that are coming together with one another. That's what the word church means. It means to gather together, to assemble together, to come together. You and I are not being the church if we are not continually coming together. If we are remaining apart 
and trying to do life on our own as Christians, then we may be part of the church in general because we've accepted Christ as our Savior. So therefore, we've been placed into the body of Christ. Technically, we are in the church general, but we're not really experiencing the local expression of that if we're not always assembling and coming together and drawing together. That's what the church is all about. That's why the writer of Hebrews sort of admonishes his readers to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. Because that goes against the very even definition of what the church is. You and I can't really be the church if we're not assembling, gathering together, and coming together. And like here, that's what the believers were doing in Thessalonica. Just like today, that's what we do in Chandler or Gilbert or all over the world. People, believers, are hopefully coming together, assembling together, and gathering together. That's part of what and the start of what it means to be a model church. That we are a group that recognizes how important it is to come together corporately and not try to do Christian life on our own. But as we do that, notice something else here. He says that I'm addressing this letter to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word in is a very small word. But throughout the Bible, it has great significance and it relates to us really big concepts. Sometimes that's what small things can do. They can make a big difference. And so Paul is reminding the church in Thessalonica that, that though, you know, you live maybe in different parts of the city of Thessalonica, and yes, you come together, you gather together, you assemble together on a regular basis. Always know this too, church. He says you are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are literally within God. You are living in vital union with the Lord of the universe. No matter what position you and I occupy physically, as a believer of Jesus Christ and one who is a member of his church, we are always to live in vital union with God. To avail ourselves of everything that is within God then can be ours. Everything that God has as a resource, we can begin to experience when we live in God. Now again, yes, technically, positionally, when you and I accept Christ as our Savior and we become part of the church, we are placed in the body of Christ and we are in God. But here the term means more than just where are you positionally, but more where are you living out your life practically. Because you and I can have a relationship with God, but not necessarily, as the Bible teaches, be in fellowship with God. You know... We can have a, a connection with God, but it not be close. That's why Jesus would very often say in his teachings, abide in me. 
and let my words abide in you. Stay, continue with me. Don't just come every once in a while. Live in me and within me and in vital union with me at all times. Don't just make it a, I'm checking in with you, God, now, and then I'm going to check out and use the rest of the week for myself. No, that, that's not the way God wants his church and a model church to be. A model church is one where we get the concept that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, and even corporately, say for us, as the Oasis Church, that we are to live in vital union with God all time. And not do this compartmentalization where it's like, well, I'm, I'm in God now, but now I'm, you know, not. No. God wants us to live within him always. And we're going to see more about what happens when we do that in just a little bit. I think one of the reasons, too, why at the beginning of this letter, Paul links the Lord Jesus Christ with God the Father is, again, just as a reminder that they are equal. And then he says this, grace and peace to you. All of the provision of God could be summarized in the word grace. And all of the prosperity of God, because the word speaks about spiritual prosperity especially, can be summed up in the word peace here. So again, Paul is saying that you realize Christians in Thessalonica who are part of the church of the Thessalonians, that you are to live in vital union with God. And when you and I live within God, all the provision of God, all the prosperity of God, all the resources of God, everything that's in God then becomes available to us. That's the way God wants his people to live. Verse 2. We thank God always for all of you. Paul is expressing gratitude as he's praying to God for this church in Thessalonica. And notice something unusual here. He's expressing thanksgiving for every last person in the church at Thessalonica. Now, why I say that's a little unusual is because you and I, if we're at a time of prayer and we're recounting our brothers and sisters in Christ, we might thank God for many of them, but all of them? All of them? Yeah. Because Paul understands that every last person in that church has a part to play. There's a reason why they're in that church. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. He says, we thank God always for all of you as we mention you constantly in our prayers. Notice that part of Paul's regular prayer life is praying for and mentioning his fellow believers in these local churches. They are what's on his mind, and their welfare 
is what's on his mind. He cares about what's going on in that local church in Thessalonica. And here's a little bit more background why. Just not even quite a year ago is when this church got started by Paul and Silas. When they came the first time to Thessalonica on Paul's missionary trip. So part of it here is this is not an old church. These folks who are comprising this church in Thessalonica are primarily all new believers and new converts to the faith. So, you know, not a lot of seasoning there, not a lot of experience there. So that's part of what drives Paul's concern about knowing what's going on there. The other thing is that Paul and Silas literally had to to leave Thessalonica because their own lives were in danger. As the church got planted there and faith in Christ was beginning to take place in people's lives and people were embracing the gospel, this really upset some people in Thessalonica. So if you read about it in the, in the book of Acts, the, the brothers and sisters there literally recommended for Paul and Silas to get out of town or their safety was going to be in jeopardy. So in other words, Paul knew even sort of the environment that this church was in. This was not in a friendly environment to Christianity. This was not in a, a hospitable environment where as the church was coming together, they weren't going to have to take any heat. They were going to have to take a lot of heat if they were willing to publicly declare themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. So you can imagine, if you and I have any spiritual maturity at all, we start to get where Paul's coming from. Here's a church that, that they started and that they've left. And now they're out there planting other churches and working for the Lord, but they never got their mind off of the church at Thessalonica. How are they doing? Are, is it still even existing? Have they closed their doors? Are they still coming together and all this? So what Paul did was he, he says later on in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he said, when we could stand it no longer, we sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how you guys were doing. So to sort of bring now this all together, here's how this letter all came about. Timothy comes back from Thessalonica and says, guys, you're not going to believe what's happening in Thessalonica. Not only are these believers still meeting, not only are they still surviving in Thessalonica, they are thriving. They are becoming a model church for other local churches that we are planning to take a look at and say, that's how you do local church. That's how Christians should be part of a local church. They get it. And they're not even old in the Lord. They're less than a year old. And so that's why Paul says, my goodness, when I heard from Timothy how you guys were doing in Thessalonica, I got to tell you, I was thanking God for all of you. Because all of you have become a part and are a part in what God is doing there. Notice he goes on to say, verse 3, because we recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
There again is that little word in. So I want to start there. Because three times in these few verses we're going to look at this morning, that word is used. Again, verse 1, in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then if your eyes go down to verse 5, you'll notice this phrase, in the Holy Spirit. So now in just the first few verses of this letter, the whole Godhead has been named, and that little word in becomes a vital connection to this church and the entire Godhead, whether it's God the Father, verse 1, Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1, verse 3, or the Holy Spirit in verse 5. And what Paul is saying here in this letter to the Thessalonians is one of the reasons why you are and have become a model church is because you have got it from day one. You are living in vital union with the Godhead. You are in God the Father. You are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in the Holy Spirit. And as God is drawing you to himself, he is drawing you also to one another. That's what the church is all about. That's where it starts. It starts with us recognizing that we cannot live life as the church on our own. We have to be drawn in continually to God himself. We have to fellowship with God. We have to abide with God. We have to stay with God. We have to continue with God. Every moment of our lives has to be lived in union with God as we avail ourselves of all that God is and we live within him, never outside of him, never independent of him. And as we do that, God is going to then also draw us into one another. That's why... A Christian who may insist or claim that they are close to God, living close connection with God, but not in close connection to their brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm sorry, I reject that from a biblical standpoint. There is nowhere in the Bible where you can find anywhere where one can, as a Christian, live close to God and not be in fellowship and coming together and gathering together and assembling together with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As I've used this before, if Jesus is the head of the church, then how can I, as the hand or the foot or even the toe or whatever you want to be in the body, how can you say, I'm close to the head, but I'm over here? When we draw closer to the head of the church, then we also draw closer to every member of the church. And we live not only then in vital union with God, we live in vital union with one another. That's what the church is supposed to be. And that's what Paul's pointing out. That's one of the reasons why the church at Thessalonians is a model church. They got it. We live with God and with one another. We do this all together. But then it goes beyond that. God then draws us to himself and draws us together so that not only can he work in us, but so he can work through us. Which is what Paul is describing in verse 3 when he says, we recall your work of faith, your labor of love, your endurance of hope. 
Faith, love, and hope are gifts from God that he gives to the church, to us. But they are not meant to just sort of be on their own and just sort of sit there. Faith, hope, and love all have sort of fruit to them. They move beyond themselves. In other words, if you and I truly have faith, then there will be what that accompanies that faith. Oh, boy. Let's try that again. If you and I have faith, then according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, what will accompany that biblical faith? Work. Again, this is why Paul and James do not contradict each other. No, we do not work for faith to become part of a faith community. But what Paul and James and other Bible writers are saying is this. When you and I have faith, it will produce work. It will be active. It will be laboring. There will be no such thing as spectating. It will be participating and jumping in there and doing things in the body and through the body. It's letting God draw us to him in him so that he can then start working through us. And as he builds faith into our lives and gives us faith, he doesn't just want that faith to sit there. He wants it to begin to produce work and actions and deeds. Is your faith working today? That's a model church. That's a model church where the faith fuels the work. If we truly believe and trust and have confidence in what God has said in his word and what he has revealed to us, then it will fuel us to get up and start doing things for God and serving one another. That's why then he goes on to say, too, that our labor will be fueled by love. That if I truly have the gift of love inside of me that God pours into my heart through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5, a gift from God, this agape love, if I truly get that, then I will be willing to labor out of that love. And by the way, this word labor literally means to take a beating. You could even maybe sort of describe it as blood, sweat, and tears. That you and I, as the church, are willing to go through blood, sweat, and tears because of our love for God and for one another. Is our love fueling labor? And then he says, if we truly have hope, that hope will fuel our endurance. And again, this word endurance doesn't mean just to sort of like hang on and just survive, just, just barely making it. It means to have this spiritual strength and tenacity and stick and steadfastness that is willing to triumph and stand up to even the most difficult of circumstances. It sort of looks at the giants in our life and the obstacles in our life and just says, I'm going to overcome you in the Lord. That's what endurance is. 
And so Paul is saying, when Timothy came back and gave us a report, I realized this group in Thessalonica, they need to be talked about because if, if this is taking place, they can be an example and model for other local churches because they get it that we've got to live in the Godhead. And yet it doesn't end there, that God wants to draw us to himself and to one another so that he can begin to work through us. That all of the love that he pours into us and all of the faith that he gives us and all the hope that he gives us doesn't just sit there, it does something. It builds endurance, it builds labor, it fuels action and work. That's why I share with people that there's no such thing in the New Testament as inactive church members. There's no such thing in the New Testament as people who just come and are part of a local church who are just spectators, who just come in on a Sunday, sit there, go out, and that's all they really do in the local church. That's foreign. You, you, that's not the church. If you and I are especially to be a model church and an example church to others, then it starts with us and the realization of living in God and then let God living through us. And by the way, I will tell you that from the day that I was convinced that God wanted me to plant the Oasis Church in this area, that God did not just want this church to be just another group of complacent, mediocre believers. Because can I tell you, I'm tired of living in a world that is accepting mediocrity. I want to be part of something, not just as a pastor, but just as a Christian. I want to be part of a local church that's significant that truly makes a difference, that has a, an impact and influence for eternity in this world. I don't want to be part of a local church that's just superficial. I want to be part of a local church where God is at work and where supernatural things are happening continuously. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. If I want to be part of a church just that sort of as a social club where Christians come together and just sort of high-five each other in and out the door and nothing really significant or eternal or supernatural happens, we got plenty of those places. But we need local churches today that are like this local church in Thessalonica. That's what our community needs. That's what our nation needs. That's what this world needs. Our groups of believers like those in Thessalonica a couple thousand years ago who got it. This is what it means to be part of a church and that they take it proudly. We live in God and we let God live through us. Notice he goes on to say this in verse 4. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. By the way, the most oft phrase that Paul uses in this letter and a key phrase of this entire letter is the phrase, brothers and sisters. 
fellow believers, those of the same spiritual family united in a bond of affection. He uses that phrase 19 times in five chapters. He wants us to get it. We are brothers and sisters. We are part of the same spiritual family, as I've shared before. The word literally in the original language means those born from the same womb. That's how close we are to be with one another. We are brothers and sisters. And he says, we are brothers and sisters who should always be reminded that we are loved by God. And that word love there in the tense that it's in means continuously loved by God. It means we were loved by God in the past. We are being loved by God now in the present. And we will be loved by God in the future. There will never be a time where God will not love us. And it is out of that deep love that God has for us that Paul says to them as a church, he has divinely chosen you with a purpose in mind. That's what the word means. Elect or chosen. It means that when God chose us to be part of the church, He chose us with a purpose in mind. Think about that individually and think about that corporately. Now, I believe as the pastor of this church that God raised up the Oasis Church with a specific purpose in mind for this group of believers, just like he did the church in Thessalonica. And then God calls people and chooses them to be part of this church and other churches with a specific purpose in mind. That's again why it's so foreign from a biblical viewpoint or standpoint to ever see and hear where people choose the church. And yet again, that's the day and age we live in. What do you hear Christians saying? I'm going to this local church, and this is the church that I choose to go to. I choose to go to that church because of the children's programs or because of the youth ministry, or I choose to go there because of the music that they do or, or whatever, the, the preaching that they hear. But there's all kinds of different reasons why all these Christians are choosing the church that they belong to. You can't find that in the Bible. See, if, if we're going to be the church then that means that God chooses us and calls us to be part of a specific body of believers because he has a purpose in mind for why he wants us there. Not the other way around. We don't choose the church. We let God choose the church for us. Because God and God alone is the only one They can figure all this out, that the gifts and abilities and talents and insights and experiences and all that that he's given us is going to fit perfectly with this body of believers. We are not to leave that choice up to us. We are to let God choose it for us. Every Christian should feel called to a local church. I believe that with all my heart. You don't hear that today. That's why I've shared with you, I am called by God 
to pastor the Oasis Church. If I left this church, if I got up one Sunday and said, you know what, grass is greener over there at that church. I, I think I'm going to resign from this church and go over there, and I'm going to start pastoring that, and I'm going to pastor, so what's wrong with that, right? I'm going to use my gifts and talents over there. The problem is, that's not where God called me. I'd be disobedient. I'd be out of the will of God. God wants me to pastor this church. And he has called me here. And that's why I can't leave, I won't leave, and I don't want to leave. You may want to leave, but I don't want to leave. <coughs> because I know God chose me to be here. And there's something, again, freeing about that and, and settling about that. I'm not here because I want to be. Ask my family. <laughs> when we all started the conversation with others about starting a church, I was the last one on board. It wasn't until God sort of had to just get me down and say, yeah, that's what you're doing, that I, okay, God. That's why they're a model church. They're living with the divine purpose of God in mind, which is why he goes on then to say, and that our gospel did not come to you merely in words, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. Surely you recall the character we displayed when we came among you to help you. One other point. God calls us into him and to one another. In God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, verse 135. But then God doesn't want it to stop there. He wants, as the church, for, for him to be able to work through us. Work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope. But it doesn't end there. As the church, God wants us not only to be in and through, but to be willing to go beyond. And what I mean by that is to let God take us beyond ourselves, our capability, our capacity, what we could accomplish on our own. That's the real church. That's being a model church. Not, not coming together humanly and figuring out what we, humanly speaking, can do that we could do without God. No matter how great it is, that's not the church. The church is a group of people that always evidence and express the power of God, the supernatural, miraculous power of God operating in and through them. To where people look at them and go, there's no way human beings could do that. Only a higher power or God could do that. That's what was happening in Thessalonica. That's why Paul says in verse 5, when our gospel came to you, it came to you not merely in words, spoken words. It came to you in power. And the word that Paul uses there is a word that expresses supernatural, miraculous, beyond human resource kind of power. That's why he adds, and in the Holy Spirit, meaning it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's power was evident from day one in that church. 
that their lives and the transformations and the changes and the things that they were doing and stepping up to do in the environment that they were having to do it in could only be explained by a power beyond themselves. And that's what the church is all about. That's why I want to be part of a church where it's not what we can accomplish on our own. There's lots of churches like that. I want to be part of a church like this church where the power of God is evident. Where it's not just superficial stuff going on, it's supernatural stuff going on. That people's lives are being changed. That eternity is being changed. That homes, that communities are being transformed by the power of the Word through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says in verse 6 this. He says, when you receive the message, you received it with joy. Joy that only comes from the Holy Spirit because you were going through great affliction as you were receiving it. That's what we talked about at the beginning. Paul knew. Thessalonica was not a friendly city to the gospel message or to Christians. So Paul knew every time these Christians gathered together or came together and assembled together, they were going to be persecuted. They were going to be afflicted. They were going to be threatened. They were going to be insulted. They were going to be reviled. And Paul said, yet, you did all this with joy. It wasn't like, oh, we got to go to church today. Oh, my goodness, what a pain. No, they were joyful as they went to church. In spite of all this affliction that was going on, all the pressures that were pressing against them. And Paul says, this was evidence that there was something supernatural going on because no normal human being could assemble together with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ consistently with joy when all these pressures and afflictions and persecutions were pressing constantly against you. You would have cracked, or you just simply wouldn't have assembled at all. You would have run away. In fact, I thought to myself, how many of us who claim that we are followers of Christ today, how many of us would have been willing to do what the Thessalonians had to do each time they assembled? How many even less people would be here on a Sunday at the Oasis if you and your family had to endure from the time you parked your car and you walked into those doors, you had to endure the reviling and the threats and the insults and the persecution of people who would line that way all the way here. Would you just go, no, nah, I'm just staying home. I'm not putting myself or my family through that. Much less having joy to do it. <laughs> but you see, when we react or respond that way, that's all that we can do. That's showing our limits. We can't rise beyond that. But when you and I let God, let God do what God wants to do and draw us to himself and draw us to one another and begin to work through us, then he also can begin to do things beyond what we could ever do on our own. 
that we can live that abundant life and live at a higher plane than we ever could imagine. And when you and I are at that place, then we can become an example to other churches. When we let God draw us to himself and to one another, begin to live through us, and as we, he lives through us, he shows us how we can live beyond us. I want to be part of a church where the things that happen can only be explained by the power of God. Let's live in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Spirit today. Father, thank you. Thank you for moving Paul and Silas in spite of what they went through to plant this church in Thessalonica. And God, one day we're going to meet the believers of this church in Thessalonica in heaven one day. We're going to be able to shake their hand and talk to them and thank them that thousands of years later, even after they were long gone and that church was long dissolved, God was still using their testimony and their witness and what went on in that town of Thessalonica a couple thousand years ago to inspire and motivate us as believers today. And God, I pray that that's what happens here. That over these next few months that we explore the letter of 1 Thessalonians, that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as believers of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we would be inspired and motivated like never before to be part of the church. We may be part of the church or the body of Christ because we've placed our faith in Christ for our salvation, but are we truly being the church that God calls us and purposes us to be? That's the question. It can only be done when you and I live in God, in vital union with him every moment. God, help us to do that today and realize that, Lord, when we do live in vital union with you, in you, that there's nothing, nothing we can't accomplish and that you can't do through us. Help us believe that and trust in that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.